Welcome to Veterans Freaking Vodka production of Article 15. Here at Article 15, we're attempting to bring both awareness and an end to 22 veterans committing suicide every day. We speak to everyday veterans with everyday issues for vets acclimating back to civilian life. Today, we have John Forsyth, who served in the United States Army from 1968 to 1969. John is a combat veteran who served in Vietnam. He had a tour from October of 68 to late July of 69. He's originally from Illinois and has retired since back to Illinois. And John worked for Commonwealth Edison for 46 years. It makes him extremely old. Hello, John, and welcome to Article 15. Oh, that was a that was a hell of an introduction, Ryan. <laughs> Well, we've known each other for a little bit now, man. I, I I think we're past formalities. I would think so. I would hope so. So, John, you and I, we've met. We, we've known each other for uh, just a little bit over a year. Uh, we met through the VFW here at Harry E. Anderson Post 9545 in New Lenox, one of the, the best places I've ever been. I love that place. It's like another home. We met because... I did a ruck march in November of 2019, I believe it was. And you came and grabbed me up and said, how do we do this? And how do we make it better? And how do we raise more money? How have you felt we have uh, changed veterans' lives since then? Well, knowing the amount of money that we got and working for a headstrong organization as far as where the money went to, realizing that the $15,000 that was raised was we were told that that would help three families for a year in counseling and whatever other needs they may need. So that gave us a perspective of where the money, how the money is used, where it goes, and and how much more money can help that much more or more veterans and veteran families. So yeah, that's pretty that was, amazing. Uh, that was quite an experience that you and I went through last year putting that together. It, yeah, it was a true journey, man. And I didn't realize at the time. So in November of uh, 2019, I just decided to do a ruck march. I tried to get a couple of other guys to jump in. Nobody else really either had the time or the energy to walk the uh, the 20 miles uh, that I wound up doing. But I did like a small, I think it was like $1,900, raised it through Facebook. And then when we met and we decided to go bigger with it, that's when I found out that Headstrong does counseling for the veterans' families to help them better understand what that veteran is going through so they can help that veteran combat the issues that they're dealing with. And yeah, $15,000 was nothing to bat an eye at, man. Going from $1,900 to $15,000, I, I was truly humble and I loved working with you, man. And you you really spearheaded this. And now um, I don't know if. Uh, quote unquote, Terry told you yet, but I stepped up and I'm going to be taking over the, uh, what's called the warrior's walk. Now I know you had to step back a little bit. You had surgery and everything that's going on. And I guess, uh, nobody else at the meetings were, uh, pushing to go forward with it. So I'd hate to see this fall, fall away from, uh, from the VFW. It's such an amazing thing. 
and I greatly appreciate everything that you've done. I, I appreciate your service to our to our country. So from 68 to 69, you want to give us a brief one over of your tour over there? A little background history. Um, 67, I graduated high school in 66, and then I went to a year at junior college. And knowing that I was probably going to get drafted, I went ahead and pushed my name up. So I went in as U.S., rather than an R, what they called an RA. RAs were volunteers and U.S. was draft number, your, with gotcha. your, serial, your serial number. So they asked me, they said, you, what do you want, U.S. or RA? And I go, well, I'm from the United States, so we got to go U.S. So that's how I went U.S. Anyway, uh, that year of training from uh, late September to uh, October of 68, that I did a year of training. So a lot of guys are probably thinking, what do you mean did a year? What, did, what all did you do? So after I met a guy, uh, Sergeant Ford, he told me, real nice guy. He said, listen, you take as much training as you can get before you go over to Vietnam. So I said, oh, all right. So I volunteered for all kinds of stuff. So I, I uh, went paratrooper school, Fort Benning, qualified there. Uh, then I put my name in for... Uh, what they call shake and bake sergeant. So it was an NCO school. So that was at Fort Benny. Did all that there. And um, then part of that is you come back and do a, a round, another round of uh, AIT, advanced infantry training. So you did that actually twice. And the second time uh, after NCO school, you as a cadre, a cadre for helping the main instructors for that company of AIT, AIT and it's for you to get yourself acclimated of giving the orders because now you're an NCO and you got to be able to, you know, show men and have men follow you and that type of thing. So went through all that and then pretty much that filled up that that whole year. And uh, I was going to, I was thinking about going into ranger training and they said, well, you have to sign up for another year. And I go, yeah, I'm not. Doing <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good for two years. And, and if that's what I got to do, then that, that's what I want to do. So then in October of 68, I was, I was over in Vietnam. And I was with the 173rd Airborne, uh, 4th Battalion. We we're The uh, 173rd was, um, at that time, stationed in the 2nd Corps area. And Vietnam was broken down into four groups. Uh, first uh, first Corps was uh, uh, by the DMZ, and Second Corps was in the mountain ranges a little bit south, and then Third was Saigon, and Fourth was down in the Delta. So we were up in the mountains, and there was rice paddy areas, and then Tuiwa was by a lot, An K we were by a lot, uh, LZ English. Some of these, some guys listening might get be able to realize where some of those places were, which is fine. So. Uh, when I got there, I was, went to dog company. They called it dog company. I, and I asked one of the guys and Sergeant Ford told me too. He says, when you get into Vietnam, you find the, the guy that's been there the longest. I, he says, I don't care if it's a private, a corporal, a captain, a lieutenant, you know, a, a six or a seven, just get a hold of him and, and help ha have them help you guide you through being in Vietnam because we didn't go at that time we didn't go over with a group of guys you know like in 65 66 the whole units went over at the same time guys that were all trained together as a unit you mm -hmm. went over in 68 we were going over there as just filling in because somebody got killed or they needed an extra guy here or there 
you just filled in and then you started to know people then. So like replacement, which, which makes which makes it a little more difficult, I think, because if you train as a unit and go as a unit, then you have more respect for that guy's capabilities and what this yeah. guy's going to do. When you mm -hmm. walk into a war zone and you don't know anybody or any their capabilities, it's a little more difficult. So after some time in that, uh, the next uh, what was it, January, January or February, I got promoted to E six, so I became a platoon sergeant in country. So. We had our skirmishes here and there, uh, nothing that you'll ever see a movie made about or anything like that. So uh, I, one thing I learned, too, was the fact that when you're a soldier, you're fighting for your country until the mm -hmm. bullets start flying and then you're fighting for yourself. So gotcha. I, that was always kind of one of those little cue card things I had stuck in my head for, well, to this day, because I just said it again. So you can take some of that stuff in life and think about the same thing. Cause when I was a lineman for Commonwealth Edison, you're there to help get people's services up and running and that type of thing, especially during storage trouble. Well, until the lightning starts flashing and then you're, you're working for yourself cause you need to protect yourself yeah. all around. So same type of philosophy. But anyway, I got, uh, I got wounded in uh, June 27th and, um, uh, on, and from the time I got wounded till I they I was back in the United States and holding on to my wife was July fifth. So you're talking nine days. Gotcha. Nine days from the day I got wounded till I was I was home and I, I, I was derailed. So I was out of out of the army. They let me go. I was gone. No. Kidding. So I had no. Uh, there's no, there was no time coming back to, you know, you're going to spend like two, three weeks a month at uh, Fort Lewis in Washington, mm -hmm. Oregon. I can't remember. That's where a lot of guys came through back in the United States and they went through a process. So I, I didn't have any of that. And of course I was happy to get home and be, you know. Yeah, of course. Trip. So anyway, um, my dad was a World War II vet. Three of my uncles were also World War II vets, but I don't know what it is about that generation. But they really never, no, they never really talked about it. And until my mom and dad are still alive today, and my dad talks about World War II more now than he ever did when I was younger and stuff. Yeah. But I worked down at a Joliet Ar Army Ammunition Plant before I went in the service. So when I came back, my dad said. What do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to work with electricity and I want to work outside. So he said, well, let's go down there and talk to them and get your job back in that. Because my dad worked down there, too. So they did. They put me in the line department down there. And then after six months, I was supposed to get a raise, you know, go from a, a C man to a B man type of thing. And they said they didn't think I had enough experience. So I went to ComEd. They said, when can you start? So a couple of weeks later, I started with ComEd in <clears throat> 69. December 69. So what I'm getting at is I, when I got home, my dad knew that I needed to get right back into it. You know, not, I wasn't, didn't have to worry about getting a job. I, I jumped right back into it with both feet because I had res responsibility. I, I, a wife and I had a child on the way. In fact, my daughter was born July 22nd, you know, only 20 days after I got home. Wow. So all, all through my whole career, after listening to one of your other podcasts with Gunny there, like I was telling you earlier, the fact that 
you're, you're moving at 120 miles an hour is what he was talking about. There. Yeah, that's what he was saying. And I, I could feel that too. Cause I was saying to myself, when I got into the service or in ComEd, the only thing in my mind is I wanted to be the very best that they could train me to be alignment for ComEd. And I had that enthusiasm and drive probably because from your military background, that's all kind of instilled in a person anyway, through the, through that kind of training. Yeah. So I was moving, you know, I did a, <laughs> did an awful lot all those years to keep myself busy in that. And I, I really didn't, I had some nightmares and stuff, but really I didn't feel like I was being depressed by it. I had thoughts and remembrances and that type of thing. And I wasn't with anybody as far as the VFW or American Legion at the time. In fact, I didn't join the VFW until 1989. So during that time in 91, I became a foreman in 91, which would some guys would call it a superintendent. But uh, I had uh, like three or four crews any one day in that, which would be any 12, 15 guys maybe. And when they'd be out at different jobs together, well, one, one day, one of the guys that was on a crew that was under me, I went and visited him in the morning what they were doing. And then I left and go to another area to see another crew and stuff. And I got a radio call that one of the guys got uh, electrocuted. So I ran back down to that other town where the other job, where that job was and stuff and saw him just before they put him on the ambulance. And it was one of the, haven't seen anything like that since Vietnam, how bad it was type of thing. Yeah. So anyway, after the, that, that evening, when I came home, I sat in my work truck in my, in my driveway and all, all those ghosts came back. They just flooded me. It just took that one, that one image and it, it just all came back. Yep. Just, I couldn't believe it. It was not good. So I sat out in that driveway for about an hour <clears throat> and uh, my wife came out and I didn't even know she was standing next to me in the truck. And then finally I realized, she said, you need to come in. So I did. And uh, everything kind of worked out after about a week or so, I started putting myself back together. And to this day, it, you're going to have stuff like that. Yeah. And everything seems to be going really good. And then it kind of jumps out at you for whatever reason it might be, but it's going to happen. But the good thing is that I, my wife has been awesome with what I've gone through. And I'll sit down and talk to her about it a little bit just to uh, just to kind of clear my head. So my thing is I've been I was really fortunate on and I don't know why. I mean, I know, guys, there's probably there's because a person has a PTSD qualification, the next guy to him could have either wor uh, worse with the same qualification or less. I mean, it doesn't mean everybody's on that same brick as far as it's different from person to person correct the degree of what your stress level is or your depression or your your constant thoughts of going back and how come you can't get away from it and that you you you're not but you you you're able to deal with it and there's people out there that can help you deal with it and i found the only way that it's gotten better for me is because i can talk about it so yeah. i pretty much every Every day, I mean, the couple of firefights I was in, I, I remember exactly where I was, what who was with me, and and what the situation was, and and the people we killed, and that type of thing. And and you see that, I see that every day. 
but it's I just move on and go do my daily thing and whatever that might be. And it's not easy. It's difficult. No, no. And, and you know, you were saying you were listening to the one with Gunny and Gunny pushed um, scheduling. He pushed routine heavily. You feel like something, because I know you're a very regimented man. I know I've, I've, I've worked with you. I've talked with you. You're very regimented. You're very, you know, militant still. Do you find that it's a routine for you is something that normally helps you out? You know, you wake up a certain time, you still eat your breakfast, you still do take care of different things uh, at a routine time. Um, yeah, pretty much. I'm up every day at six 30. Uh, we go to bed and probably have the lights off by 10 o'clock. So it's not like I don't get enough sleep. I'll wake up in the middle of the night, like any old guy does. And then uh, go back to sleep. <laughs> Hey, don't put me, don't put me in the, in the same ranks as you, man. <laughs> I got to get up myself. Yeah. I'll tell you what, if you're up at six 30 every morning, I'm going to go ahead and let Charlie stay at your place from now on. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's in bed, but he's up by five 30, ready to rock and roll sometimes, man. That boy's got some energy. There's no doubt. Oh, he is the spitting image of his father. So, dude, I, I greatly appreciate you sharing a lot of that information with us, John. Um, I truly do. I know it's not easy for a lot of people to be able to do that. And I, I, I have the utmost respect for you, sir. What other tools? That's the way that I like to call them. You know, you say you talk to you're able to talk to people about things. Um, it helps you out. Are there other tools that you use? Healthy tools. Let's let's go ahead and make sure we put that one out there. Healthy tools that you use to help combat some of the PTSD that you've had to deal with? I never went to the VA. I've got a VA card number. The VFW was very good and was explicit about the fact that we all need to get numbers. Even if you never use it, you need to get a number. Yeah. I went ahead and did that. That's kind of important only on the basis of down the road. Uh, for some reason, you don't have insurance and that type of thing. I'm very fortunate that way. And or help that you need that maybe only the VA at, at this time or in the past have been able to facilitate to give you help for PTSD, what we're talking about. So uh, if you, you guys out there haven't gotten a card, at least to, to have your information in there in the system, you need to do it. Or the VFW or the American Legion can help get that done for you too. Yeah, they got the one, uh, they got the, whatchamacallit, in Joliet, too, don't they? It's like the um, the Will County Veterans. Yeah, it's at the old Silver Cross Hospital. Okay, and yeah. they they help pretty much put your paperwork together for the VA, right? They have they like can, a- They are on, every Tuesday morning at the VFW in 9545 in New Lenox here, they have a, I, I call them a cadre, that- is there for VA questions and stuff. Every Tuesday morning he comes there and he helps guys get either rides or or helps their paperwork get through or that type of thing. So that there's an avenue there for people to I didn't know that at all. I'm yeah. I wish I would have known that. I, I still have to get my VA stuff together. Um so what have you found to be like your greatest issue? And, you know, we talked that what happened when you saw uh, one of your coworkers were injured? Do you have something that kind of gets you day to day? Like I have Charlie, obviously, who mm -hmm. enjoys being a four-year-old boy and jumping off of stuff. So it's like loud booms going throughout the house on me because um, we have these wonderful new ticky-tacky houses over here in the, the south suburb area. Um, so when he jumps off of like the stair landing or anything like that, it echoes throughout the house and it kind of gives me that little – 
mortar attack type of deal um, feeling uh, from when I was in Iraq. Do you have anything kind of like a tick or anything like that? My thing is, uh, of course, I jump once in a while if you hear a boom or something like that, like what you're saying. I, yeah. Or you key up because you hear a helicopter, whether it's a, a Huey, which you don't see too many of those yeah. anymore. Yeah. Or even a, 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 a Blackbird. What's the, what's the helicopter mostly used today? Blackhawks? Blackhawk. Yeah, thank you. Well, I, they're around this area um, a lot. They run from the Air Force down south up to Chicago where they have the landing area there and they go kind of around our house and that near there but you hear them and then, and then of course that brings back thoughts about when you were in the service so that's yeah. normal my biggest thing is uh my i got 12 grandkids and some of them lo- love to have go see scary movies or watch scary stuff on tv or whatever type of thing and, and uh they've asked me if I, I wanted to go with them to a movie to one of some scary movie thing i said nah can't do it <laughs> I said, I've, I've been enough, I've been scared enough in my life. I don't need to be scared anymore. I'm, I'm good by it. So, and they like yeah. to get scared. So it's an adrenaline thing for them. And then, you know, you, if you've been uh, laying there in the, in the jungle doing a Nighthawk and you hear things out there, you hear your heartbeat, you hope the, you hope the enemy can't hear your heart beating because it's pounding so hard. And to me, wow. that was a lot of scary moments, that type of stuff. So. Yeah, I don't need to be scared. Like that, that's that's my uh, biggest tick is actually being scared. Amber and Amanda here. We want to tell you about our good friends over at Scale Executive Search. Scale Executive Search is a veteran-owned and operated executive search firm serving aerospace, tech, and startups. They've managed to set themselves apart by not only understanding the job market, but also ensuring their candidates and clients are invested in not only their careers, but also themselves and their families. You know, um, in in a way, I I, I get what you're telling me. You know, it, it's that being scared and that fight or flight kind of kicks in and we're not one to really run away from a fight. So we're uh, kind of getting to that adrenaline fight mode, especially if you get scared and you, you're looking for the enemy. And within seconds, you have to recognize that you got to turn that training off. You know, I've talked about that a time or two through this podcast. And it's, it's, it's a hard thing to explain to people. Your adrenaline gets pumped up. Your, your, your heart rate is through the roof and you have to come down right then and there. Um, Two days ago, was it two days? Yes, two days ago, Lauren, uh, my wife, she uh, she had the day off for Pulaski Day. I don't I don't understand why, but they have Pulaski Day off. So we were getting ready to we, we you know the kids were on the bus, the boys got on the bus. Molly was dropped off at school, and uh, I was kind of I was getting my jacket to. Uh, we were going to walk out the door. We were going to go get something to eat for breakfast. All of a sudden, I started to get this like a light ringing in my ears. And then it got heavier and heavier and it started getting real bad. And when I was in Iraq, we were out at the smoke pit. This is, this is when I was smoking and it was actually in a housing area. So the housing area that I lived on in Balad was gated. It was H6. That was gated. 
outside of it was the rest of the military base, you know, where the army and air force and everything like that. So we had what we call C rams. So if we got mortared, what they would do is they would try to run out really quick, shoot up a mortar and just say a prayer, hope it lands somewhere on our base and kill somebody. We were inside of H six. So we're inside of a base inside of a base, pretty much. Okay. We had a mortar that went right off by the smoke pit that we were at. So we got, we got kind of blown up right there. And, um, same ringing in my ears. So coming back to two days ago, this is, you know, that happened in 2009, you know, you're, you're talking almost 11 years now, no more than that, almost 12 years now when that happened. And just from my ears catching a ringing noise that started coming back to me, my hands started to shake. My, my heart rate was pumping. My wife looked at me. She said, are you okay? I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, so I've, I've been seeing a counselor who gives, gives me these tools to combat, uh, these type of issues that happen, start doing my combat breathing, breathe in for four seconds, hold it four seconds, exhale four seconds, mm-hmm. continue that on, try to look around, try to notice things that are going to help me realize that I don't need to be into this, this fight mode and try to bring myself back down by the time I would say we were probably three or four minutes away from the house. We're going down Delaney road, uh, to go, uh, over to schoolhouse. By the time we got to probably about schoolhouse and Laraway, I had already kind of come down a lot more and I was able to breathe. My heart rate, it came down again. So you're talking about a four or five minutes of just heart rate jacked up fighting to to recognize where i'm at because i was so scared of everything that was going around me i had it was amazing that she was able to get me to leave the house and uh, this is exactly what my uh, counselor has been trying to get me to do is try to recognize what's going on but still move forward with everything and you know we are going to have these times where we get scared as veterans but we have we can't let this as gunny was saying and you know you said you got to listen to that a little bit Gunny was saying he is not going to allow loud noises to dictate his life. He is not going to allow these little dick, uh, these little ticks that he has to dictate whether or not he's allowed to leave his house, whether or not he's going to be able to be with family, whether or not he's going to be able to live his life. He will not allow it. Gunny is a little bit more intense than most people, and he's a lot more regimented than most vets that I've ever met. But he's not wrong. My Monday, I think it was Monday. It was exactly, yeah, it was Monday. It was definitely showing me that I have to move forward with my own uh, issues that I'm having. John, a couple of more questions for you. You know, I know we normally could probably shoot the breeze all day long at the VFW. What do you think has been your greatest achievement since leaving the military? Whether it, uh, I, I, we try to keep it, you know, what you've done for vets or how, you know, helping vets has affected you. If there's other greatest achievements, obviously, you know, your children are always an amazing thing. Your grandchildren are always an amazing thing. What have you found to be your uh, greatest achievement since leaving the military? Uh, well, I have, I, I really have to say that our family as a whole, all my kids still live around here. I'm, a, I'm within a 10 minute drive of all four of my kids. And then of course the 12 grandkids, you know, and everybody's doing well and that type of thing. So for me of being a father, Anytime your family's doing good, you 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 feel like you've achieved something because that was my goal is when I got out of the service. No matter the when I was at work and and you're in bad weather, mud, walking through crap, pulling wire through tree lines or what all that kind of stuff, 
It would make you flash back to when you were in the service type of thing. But I always said that once you get, once you've been in a war zone, you come home to the safety of the United States, whether I know we're having problems right now and stuff, but that's going to be in the history books eventually anyway, and things will get a little bit more back to normal. But the fact of the matter, you can look at what's going on with yourself today and say, no matter how, how bad I feel right now, I, I know I, f- I feel a lot better than I would be if I was back in the military in, in that situation again that I was, that it's creating that, being for me, being scared when I get scared type. So, yeah. or, or any tick that might make you jump back. So, uh, to me, my accomplishment, I would say, as far as PTSD would be, are dealing with my ghosts, as I like to call them, and keeping them shut down in a drawer once in a while inside me. They're going to, they'll pop up once in a while, but I, well, then I have to realize, just realize where you're at and where you're at is better than where you were. Start moving forward again. So, yeah. that, I don't know how else to put it for myself, how how I deal with that kind of stuff. And it, it doesn't, has never really taken over my life. It'll, it'll stop me for a little bit, but it hasn't taken over my life. So uh, to me that I've been very fortunate that way. Uh, that's good to hear. Um, I'm happy to hear that. You know, you brought up everything that's going on in the world today. It's a little bit of animosity going on out there, but this is nothing new for you, right? Um, late sixties, early seventies, a lot of uh, activity was going on uh, back then when you guys were coming home from Vietnam. Oh, well, <laughs> I, we got off when I got out, they flew me from Vietnam when I got wounded to Walter Reed in Washington. So when we got, there was a five or six, maybe seven of us guys on the bus from the airport to get to Walter Reed. We're like, you know, the walking wounded type of thing. So we were, they, the bus driver says, you guys all get off here, walk up that grass up there and go, you know, Go into that door right there. That's where you need to be to get started yeah. on getting out from that. So we started walking up there and across the street, somebody threw out a packet of uh, fireworks. Um, and of course, you hear that popping. All seven of us dove for the ground right away. And then you hear people laughing and that type of shit. And I, I got up and I go, all clear. First thing in my mouth was all clear. And we started walking up to the up to the hospital doors there and stuff. And we all had you know, I had uh, a khaki shirt on, and uh, and you no, know, because we were it was it was hot. Was it hot? It was it was hot over at Nam. Of course, it was summertime. And when we got back, we went to, through Alaska. It was kind of cool up in Alaska, Anchorage, when we came through. But anyway. Those were kind of, those are bad things. The thing that really bothered me was that, that, you know, people are, you get into this where they put words together, like you, here comes some more baby killers and stuff. You know, that, yeah. that, that kind of stuff always kind of bothered me because there's no, I mean, I'm sure that, I'm sure that civilians got killed yeah. over there. There's no doubt about that, but intentionally going up and for using those kind of terms against a person, that's so wrong. Yeah, coming home, we didn't really. There, funny thing is, I when I started training in uh, the line department, that um, another guy was in the 173rd Airborne at in, in training with me. 
but he was from uh, he was from Joliet, and I was from Manhattan, and we met there and realized we found out we were both in the 173rd. So he says, "I know you." I he says, "My dad sent me a picture of you because my mom and dad put a lot of people put their kids' pictures in, in the newspaper back in the day that they're they're in the service now type." And uh, he said, my dad sent me your picture to Vietnam to see if I was work if I was with you. <laughs> he was in a different <laughs> battalion, but him and I were over there about the same time anyway. It's so always fun. We're best oh, friends. You know so-and-so? Do you know my cousin? You know, whatever. Yeah. Like, I'm in the baby, bro. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. a big name. So, uh, yeah, during during the 60s and that with uh, the anti-war thing going on. And, you know, being in the war and everything. And then coming home, I hardly ever w- read any newspapers, uh, didn't watch any news. Uh, my brother, Dave, he was, a, he was a Marine. He was over there. Actually he was over there the same time I was after I got out and he got over there in January and I was still there of 69. So yeah. then I got wounded, got out in, uh, like I said, in July 5th was when I was actually out. So, um, then he was there for a couple more months. He got wounded a couple times and, and got out. Good Lord. Then he went, what was your injury, if you don't mind me asking? I got uh, shrapnel in the back of the head. I had a concussion. I had blood coming out of my eyes and nose and ears. And they all thought I was dead. But when I woke up, I was 3,000 feet up in a helicopter heading back to a mass unit. So I'm sorry was, I asked. It was Jeez. a anti-personnel bomb went off behind me. So the shrapnel went up and up inside my helmet in my head and that. I'm glad you're all right, man. Oh, yeah. Good Lord. Well, yeah. Some people would say, are you all right? <laughs> some people no, still have questions. <laughs> Moving forward. Um, obviously, we don't we're, we're sooner or later. We're all going to go back to dust and everything. Um, and they're going to find Article 15 podcast somewhere in the, you know, interspacing webs of the of the internet for future veterans for for future members of the military what is the best advice you have to give this veteran the best advice you can ever think of having all your years of experience don't mean to make you sound old even though you are a boomer all your years of experience of working with veterans talking with different veterans seeing what you have gone through what you know other vets have gone through what would be your best advice for these veterans i would say uh, find somebody to talk to there's a comfort zone on being able to communicate with people but to find that person that doesn't necessarily have to be somebody that's been through the same thing as you but um find that person that you can talk out things with because if you try to hold that in it's just going to eat you alive. You need to get it out and not necessarily always bending somebody's ear, but find that person you can talk to, whether it's at a a medical facility like a VA or a headstrong organization or a a good friend that you've met at the uh, BFW or American Legion or your neighbor that might've been in the military or a person that might be a doctor, uh, psychologist, therapist. You need to always 
bring it out. When it's bothering you, you need to bring it out and get it out and let it go and then move on. And then when it comes back, be able to do the same thing. And that helps you. It, it knows where your it knows where your smooth point would be. It knows that you have a back door that you can go to to help you relieve yourself of all that pressure and then use that and then move on. That's awesome, brother. I greatly appreciate that. You know, uh, just a quick reminder, this podcast drops on Friday. So although it might be Wednesday here, it is always Friday in Article 15. So on article on uh, Fridays, we wear red. We wear nice. red because it's an acronym, which stands for Remember Everyone Deployed. And for our brothers and sisters that are still downrange, you are in our thoughts. You are in our prayers. Uh, this very shirt, if you guys can see it now, pretty awesome. It was made by a very good friend of mine. Uh, you can get in touch with her. She is Greek Freak. That is G-R-E-E-K-F-R-E-E-K-L-L-C. She is on Etsy. She is on Instagram. You can get in touch with her at Greek Freak LLC at gmail.com. Greek Freak LLC at gmail.com. Her name is Kat. Reach out to her if you guys want to get yourself a copy of this shirt as well. John, you, you like I said before, man, you're like a big brother to me, man. I greatly appreciate uh, your mentorship uh, coming into the VFW post 95, uh, 95-45. I've made that VFW my second home just because of guys like you. Uh, and I, I really appreciate you guys from quote unquote Terry, which is Tim and, uh, you know, Frank and Dave and all those guys, you know, you guys are uh, Clark and Travis. You guys are you guys have been amazing. Uh, I greatly appreciate you coming on to uh, the podcast and, and telling your story. Recently, I spoke to my oldest brother and uh, he when I came home from active duty, he noticed something different about me, an attitude, uh, a way of about me, you know, a little bit angrier, a little bit meaner. Um, and I, I didn't know any of this. He, he called me up and talked to me about it. And he said, uh, you know, I, I noticed this about you. And I never said anything because I, I don't know what to say to you. He had a roommate, Sean, who actually his podcast will be dropping on Friday, this Friday coming up, prior Marine. He said, you and Sean are very familiar or uh, very uh, similar. And I didn't understand what he was getting at. And he said, by listening to your podcast, I, I don't understand everything, but I'm getting it. For somebody who has known me my whole life, my whole existence, and has known me the almost 15 to 20 years since I've been out of active duty, to be able to change his point of view about veterans and what we are dealing with after that long of time for somebody to have his mindset and made up that it's just veterans that are this way. And to now he opened up his mind and he's able to see just from these podcasts, because I'm talking with heroes like you, Sean, Gunny, my buddy, Alex, uh, the uh, Justin, you know, so my buddy uh, Wood as well, you know, all these different guys who are coming forward, telling their stories. Not only are we giving veterans better ideas of how to work with what they have going on and better outlets, we are changing the minds of civilians as well about PTSD, about having them understand how important mental health is. 
So I greatly appreciate you coming on, John. Thank you so very much. And I will be seeing you around the VFW for sure. Sounds good. Thanks, Ryan. Have a great day. You doing the plunge today? I am doing the plunge today. I will be freezing my nuts off in a cold pool uh, with a couple of my buddies. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. <laughs> hey, I, I raised, uh, well, you know, Frankie, Frank, my son, Frankie, yes. is special needs here and profound. So this, all the money goes towards um, the special Olympics. So for me, this is for what he deals with. This is, sure. this is, this is an easy, easy day. I wound up raising uh, close to $1,500 for them. You know, nice. so, um, That's awesome. So hopefully uh, next year we'll go even bigger. All right, brother. All right. Thanks, Ryan. Take it easy, John. I have a good one.